0: Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today here on WIPR. And it's been a few weeks, Cindy.
1: I know. I'm so excited. I love it when we get to do a live show. I hope a lot of people call in because it's so fun to talk to everybody so uh please don't as tony says don't be shy (laughs) although if you uh, are you can email us
0: well yeah if if uh, if not shy 410-662-8780 is the way to join the conversation and we wanted to talk about cheese Mm -hmm. such a delicious
1: topic I love so cheese.
0: So if you have if a problem with cheese, you don't like cheese, you don't want us talking about cheese, call in 410-662-8780. <laughs> right. If you have to be, uh, you know. Maybe
1: you'd like us to talk about something Nancy. else. All right. um,
0: but it's one of the oldest foods and one of the original preserved protein sources. and
1: uh, Which happened mankind. by accident, of course, yeah, at some point. kind
0: mankind forward in that way.
1: Right. Some guy Just, was carrying some milk around on his horse and uh, it turned into cheese. It's probably what happened, to put it simply.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that there were plenty of failed experiments. Um, But there's a lot of really remarkable stuff. Mm, And there's a reason that, I mean, humans like it. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I'm not going to pretend like they don't eat mac and cheese or grilled cheese or that if I make pasta, you know, mezzaluna or something that's filled with ricotta cheese that they're not happy as can be, so.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of ways to make yourself happy with cheese. Uh, like you say, you know, the the pieces that we get uh, that are brought in from the artisanal farmers throughout Great Britain by a place called Neal's Yard Dairy. Um, yeah, I mean, you started a relationship with them many, many years ago and, um, you know, we- It's been we, about,
0: about 20 years now.
1: Yeah, we buy directly from them. And uh, it's such a joy to uh, get their products because, you know, and it's the, 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 the specialness. I can't think of a better word, which I don't even think that is a word. Um, you know, it's just so special. It's, it's, it's produced by people that love what they're doing. A lot of them have their own herds. Uh, of cows or sheep, um, they're, they're, you know, producing their own milk, not all of them, but a lot of them, some of them are co-ops too. But, um, you know, just the fact that they have had maybe the land in their family for five, six, seven, or eight generations. And, um, you know, it's from start to finish, they're just producing this, you know, amazing product and i'm so respectful of what all the work that goes into it uh for them to produce these cheeses and then neil's yard does such a great j- job of cellaring their cheeses and you know sort of aging them properly and then sending them out when these cheeses are at the right time in their life for us to all enjoy it it's it's uh, all around just a great marriage of of farmer producer and um selector and shipper basically
0: yeah i think I don't know, That's the, the, the last 20 years, the biggest revelation for me, there have been two. One are the breadth uh, and the interest and the unique personalities. And, and like each individual wheel is a little bit different in every season uh, from a, every particular producer. And that, just like in wine, I mean, that that's means that they're not making a product, is that they're making the, the produce of a season. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I find that really remarkable and wonderful.
1: Right. And we have Um, been because we have been buying their cheese for so long. You know, we do get to see them, the cheeses at different times of the year. Sometimes they're just not available during certain times of the year, too, which makes sense from what you were just talking about. But, yeah, it's also fun to see how they might change throughout the year, whether the, you know, they were being. Well, it's often true a lot with the mountain pieces in France or uh, Italy or Spain where the the, the cattle or the uh, goats are going up into the mountain meadows and things during different time you know during the springtime and summer obviously um, and they're feeding off of those wildflowers and all the wonderful things that are growing in those pastures and uh, the difference between that and being hay fed or however they're being fed in the winter time is, is pretty interesting it's subtle but it, it you can't tell the difference sometimes
0: yeah no question so if you uh if you want to chime in we're going to start talking about some favorite individual products and sort of what to do with them and how to pair them with other things in a few moments but you can chime in 410-662-8780 tell us your favorite tell us why tell us what you like to do with it the uh, it's funny i was uh, i was texting with uh, the interior designer that we work with last night and she was going on and on and on about how much she liked a particular sort of honey on a plate with uh, cheese, a manchego, and a a very popular nice sheep's milk piece from the north of Spain, uh, manchego. And she didn't say how old it was because you see them three, six, nine months, a year. Um, But immediately my mind leaps to, I do not like sweet things on the plate with cheese. So I'm going to take... I'm going to take the position in that camp. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, no, no dried fruit, no nuts. For, for me, there's, there's a little trinity with cheese. If you're having cheese as a course or as a plate, it's whatever the bread might be that you're dealing with, whether it's a toast or a bruschetta or um, something that's fresh, right. um, you know, a little crostini, whatever it might be. Uh, my grandmother's favorite crackers. Mm-hmm. the but that the cheese and whatever the wine or, or the beverages that that little trinity that little balance is a big deal mm-hmm. to me
1: and i know a lot of people enjoy and that's fine i mean everybody can eat how food however they want to i mean you know, we're not, certainly not criticizing anybody for wanting fruit or, or, uh, something dried fruit or something sweeter with cheese. But I, I am with, I agree with you. I really like to just eat the cheese. Um, sometimes if a cheese is really runny, it does make sense to me to have it on a toast point. um, and, I, and oftentimes I will just eat a toast point rather than putting the cheese on it. I'll eat it between if I'm eating three or four different types of cheese, I'll I'll, I'll eat a, a baguette toast point, which is sort of a neutral flavor just to kind of clean up my palate. So I'm ready to try the next cheese, you know, and I think also an important point of eating more than one type of cheese is going from mild to, to the strongest cheese, start off mild, go to the strongest. And, and we, we plate it that way. We, we, if it's a plate, that's, it works where you go straight across the plate. It's, it's, you know, left to right, mildest to strongest, or if it's a circular plate, um, you know, you're starting at 12 o'clock with the mildest and working your way around, obviously, to the strongest. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, we do serve one bread at, at, at the restaurant that has a little bit of fennel seed and uh, golden raisins in it. And I will admit which is contradicting the whole having fruit and dried fruit with it. <laughs> I will admit that that cheese is awfully good with a triple creme cheese and um, like San André or Delice de Bourgogne or uh, any of those, you know, really wonderful soft pieces that are high fat and basically tastes like the best uh, and most interesting butter you might ever have in your life. Um, but then again, it affects it. So, you know, either way.
0: So let's, let's, let's do a couple of quick favorites. So your, your favorite, oh. and we can bounce back and forth, mm-hmm. favorite British Isles cheese okay? Uh, to, just to eat on its own and then to work with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, same thing in France. Same thing anywhere else in the world.
1: Okay, so I love blue cheese. I love all cheese. But I really love having a blue uh, to mix with other cheeses because it is so different because of the mold in the cheese. So Beanley... Uh, comes from Devon and it is um, it was actually created by the cheese maker. Um, so it was created by Robin Congdon and uh, Ben Harris at Ticklemore. And we also buy Ticklemore, which is one of the cheeses they produce as well. And it is also a brilliant, gorgeous, sexy piece of cheese. Um, but uh, Beanley is a sheep's milk blue, which also makes it unusual because most blues are made from cow's milk. It is pasteurized. It has a vegetable coagulant. So what's nice about that is if you are a vegetarian, you can have this cheese. Um, so it's not animal rennet, and um, it it is just lovely. It, the blue is not strong, but it's really interesting. And the pate of the cheese, the texture is, you know, sort of creamy and crumbly. It has a nice acidity level. It is fascinating on the palate, and it's really pleasing on the palate. And when you, because it just sort of melts on your mouth, on your tongue um, from your own body heat, basically. And um, when you go to cut it, you can get a slice out of it. It's very, uh, if you have a hot uh, knife blade, that's the easiest way to deal with cutting uh, a beautiful piece of cheese. Obviously the heat helps you go through it neatly and, Will keep something that's really crumbly from melting. I mean, sorry, from crumbling. Um, So, uh, but it's not always. You know, if you're having a party, um, you know, you're not going to have you know a hot knife there. Uh, So, uh, but it it does cut nicely, a little bit nicer than some of the other blues. If that's important to you, but mostly it's delicious, and it has a wonderful uh, family history. So that's one
0: thing when, when when I think about those cheeses. I think about sort of their care and their keeping, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I I was always struck. We went to Neil's yard, you know, what, 18, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was struck, one, by how much just running water there was on the floor. The humidity was really high in that space. Yeah. yeah. You think about your refrigerator, the humidity is non-existent, right? Pretty low, so yeah. It, It's really much more wine cellar conditions that cheese wants for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the high humidity, low temperature, but not necessarily cold.
1: Right.
0: Um, But when you think about even like you buy a nice piece of Parmigiano Reggiano and you put it in the fridge. Now I'm jumping to Italy, but and, and you put it when you first get it, you have this nice block of like 24 month Parmigiano, which is almost crystalline, you know. And, and fatty and tender all at once. And then you put it in the fridge for two weeks, wrapped up or not, and it's dried some, and it's just not remotely the same. Um, I think a lot of times we're, we're, things come to us slowly uh, through stores in the States. I think being very fussy about when you buy things is a big deal. Um, and I'm the weird person at the store who's like smelling the packages to see if there's any like ammonia, because a lot of times putting plastic on the cheeses, yeah, you know, will, will help ammoniate, ammoniate yeah. the cheeses. Che-
1: cheese does not like plastic. If you can wrap it in no. parchment paper or cheese, if you can buy cheese paper, um, it will store much, much better. Or even, even wax paper is better than plastic, which, I mean, there are pieces that we have to store in plastic at the restaurant because we have so many... You know, you have so many odors if you have garlic and things like that in a closed refrigerator, you're going, you know, you don't want those to be introduced into the cheese and your refrigerator at home is a lot smaller than a restaurant walk-in. So, you know, you you want to consider that as well. What is your cheese going to absorb from a smell standpoint from the other product in your storage space?
0: Yeah, I think that 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 is an underrated, important little item. And a lot of times, I'll end up if I if I have to buy something not through work, let's say I was going into a store, if I can find a whole piece that's smaller, uh that is completely enclosed, mm-hmm. uh let's say like a petit basque, uh right. which is which is just one of those Pyrenees Tom, um a sheep's milk cheese that's mild and and relatively firm and not a million miles away from Manchego, not quite as crumbly crumbly. Um but those because they're enclosed in wax, you know, entirely. Uh, I, it's pretty reliable that that's gonna be in good moisture content. And that's a big, I just, you get so disappointed when the texture's not right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, watch the age of the piece, as you know, as you say, that. that's another thing, All, most cheese is labeled. So, you know, make sure it's within its time period. And also, if you're, <laughs> if you're storing it, make sure it's gonna be within your time period of use as well.
0: So when we come back, we're going to take a little break. Uh, we want to hear from you all. Uh, what are your favorite cheeses and how come? Cheese questions, 410-662-8780. Or email us, Wolf at wypr.org. And Cindy, we've got a bunch of emails to address uh, right on the other side of this break. good. Okay. On Foreman Wolf on food and wine. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on food and wine. I'm Tony Foreman.
1: I'm Chef Cindy Wolf.
0: And we're live today. You can reach us 410-662-8780. And uh, Cindy, we've got a bucket of emails and a couple of callers. So let's okay. let's do a couple of quick on-topic emails about cheese. Uh, from Colin, Canada makes an aged cheddar that's just called Old <laughs> it has wonderful crystals <laughs> and complexity like a grand parm, yet with an earthy addition. I've yet to find this variety in the States. Age surely adds. Wonderful character. When these cheeses get too hard, I like to shave them over pasta or use the rinds in soups.
1: That's good. I like that. I've never Great seen name. a
0: cheese called Old. Me either. That I mean, can like be
1: good for their marketing. Uh. <laughs> I like (laughs) that. Now I'm going to look for it. I want some old
0: cheese. So, all right. So, Ronnie in Baltimore, can you all talk about the idea of cheese as dessert? All my life, cheese has been something we snack on. I I like this topic, or have for munching before dinner. It wasn't until I ate my first French bistro when a cheese cart came out after the meal. It seemed so strange and fun, and there are only certain cheeses that are considered after meal cheeses. Should certain cheeses follow certain meals? Any insight on the history of this tradition? My American mind is so trained to desire something sweet after a meal. I'm very interested to know more and how about how this tradition of following a meal with cheese came to be, so.
1: That's fantastic. I I love that too, because to me, it's a natural transition from the last savory course to cheese. And oftentimes, I won't. Okay, so I'm probably weird. I don't really care about dessert, so I know that puts me in oh, an, in an that's, unusual. Yeah, that's but it, it is nice to have blue. a sweet after cheese as well. But uh, for me, if I'm if I'm getting full, I'd rather have cheese. But let's pretend we're eating in a normal way, which is cheese and then pastry. And um, I think that also, you if you you often if you're especially in a restaurant or a bistro, you have. Uh, wine left over. It just seems like a also a normal thing to just, oh gosh, what cheese might I want with the wine that I have left over? Or I would like another glass of wine, something different, and I'd like to have cheese with that. But yeah. the tradition, think, Tony, can you speak to that?
0: Well, I was going to say, what what I would say to Ronnie, because you know I like the organization of meals, right? That Italians, most cheese is table cheese, what he's talking about, sort of snacking things, easy things. Uh, often they're part of antipasti. A lot of times if you get salumi, like prosciutto, maybe you'll get some slices of telegio or something like that as well. Right. And have those with uh, just before a, the you know, meal an easy white or a charming Beginning. young red before the meal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, in Italy, pretty much only Pimonte and, and Lombardia do you see cheese uh, that is often for a cheese course that's after your main course, um, so Ronnie, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, you know, say that's not dessert. That's a, that's a cheese course, and like Cindy said, that's that's for that additional old special wine that you want to open, or that's for a particular sweet wine, uh, like like the beanly Blue. Cindy's talking about. If you want to open a bottle of Sauterne or Pasito or something, it's marvelous with that stronger. Uh, salty, spicy cheese. Um, but th- that's th- there's, It's a different function. The other thing is it needs to be something strong enough and with enough personality. You, you think about it, you, your last course usually is the, the fattiest, strongest flavored thing that you have. Mm-hmm. If the cheese is not <laughs> stronger flavored and fattier, it doesn't really make the progression work very well. So that's it's really kind of a functional thing. And I think it it its origin, as the the whole like cheese course idea, is is definitely a wintertime thing. It is definitely a there's only so much protein to go around. And and so maybe you have a little bit of, you know, there are eight people splitting one chicken, and so maybe everyone gets a slice of uh, brie de mo mm-hmm. or something like that as well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and a little more wine. For purely for morale purposes <laughs> so that, morale. that that that's kind of the idea
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's kind of the idea why don't we why don't we jump to uh, callers who got Joel who's near the bay bridge apparently Hi, I hope you're not in traffic Joel
1: hey there um I was you're kind of getting into this but I was interested in building my vocabulary about the different flavors that are associated with different cheeses and how you guys would approach food pairings.
0: Um, I've seen winemakers have really pretty rich language that
1: they use to describe different vintages and flavors. And so I'll, I'll take my question off the air if that's all right. Sure. Thanks, Joel. I think a lot of times when you're talking about cheese, you're talking about the level of sweet sweetness, the level of complexity, um, the that- texture... So is it granular? Tony had mentioned sort of a crystallization in some cheeses, um, or you know, and then also you get into the whole: uh, is it a washed rind piece? Is it is it a pressed piece? Is it, what kind of milk is it? Is it cow, goat, sheep? I mean, there's so many different aspects of the cheese that, as it pasteurizes, it unpasteurized that make it very uh, particular. And so you know, is it creamy? Um, is it buttery paste? Is it pierced with blue? Um, uh, I, I have uh, uh, Montgomery's cheddar is one of my favorites, and the description by Neil's Yard is rich, brothy, savory flavors. And when I read that, I'm like, wow, rich, brothy. That I that's that's going a little far for me. <laughs> I don't really follow that, but it is a brilliant I, piece of cheese. And um, I, it, they also talk about it being stratified, which I think is an interesting word when applied to cheese
0: with Montgomery cheddar, and I love that particular cheese. It, there, there's a sweetness to the milk. When Cindy says sweet, she doesn't mean that there's sugar present. It's that the the, the milk feels sweet. Mm-hmm. Most goat cheeses feel tart. Cheese milk cheeses feel kind of, you know, soft and rich uh, and, and with very easy flavors and, and the acid's usually not quite as high. The cow's milk cheese like... Uh, you know, like the the Montgomery cheddar, the brothy thing, it's, there's savory flavors. It's sweet milk and savory flavors at once. It always, this is my one weirdo wine pairing because it's not a wine pairing. I like malt whiskey. Hmm. I like a Highland malt <laughs> with Montgomery cheddar. And I've, it's funny, I've talked to a number of tables about that and convinced them. That's and they've been, they've been, they've been excited about it. That there's a certain harmony that's there. If you're going to have something that has that much alcohol, you better have something that's intense and it's very intensely flavored.
1: You know, one of the other things uh, it says about uh, uh, the Montgomery's cheddar, it is the traditional method of cheddaring, which I think is fascinating because, you know, it's the real deal. And so it's the cutting, the stacking, and turning of the curds by hand to drain the whey away. That way, W H E Y, is what cheddaring is. And when you think about some of the American cheddars that like you and I grew up on, you know that 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 was not at all part of the process. I mean, it's just, it's sort of astonishing because I I don't want anyone to ever think like Montgomery's cheddar is some, you know, pedestrian cheese because it is absolutely a brilliant piece of cheese that's made in the traditional manner that's been made for many, probably thousands of years. Um, Not that cheese, but... The the process of cheddaring, so it's the cheese is just its own world. It's so amazing. I mean the 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 work that goes into taking something like milk from an animal into making it into something brilliant is just oh gosh, and it and it just takes time and and energy and dedication and discipline to make a brilliant piece of cheese.
0: So we got an email from Stephen Crofton. Uh, the cheese I grew up on is laden, a Dutch cow's milk cheese with cumin or caraway seeds. I used to eat a bit of it sliced or on a cracker, but recently I came up with a grilled laden on pumpernickel or rye, mm. sometimes with capicola and a bit of balsamic honey oh. mustard. Steve, that sounds That's like fine. a... a, a a solid late night one guy awake in the house kind of sandwich right there. <laughs> that sounds
1: good. That's fun. Good for yeah, him.
0: No, that that is fun. I like that. That's well, I mean, and that's that's one of the other things that happens. It so there was a British detective show that I would, you know, get home very late, everyone asleep in the house. I would indulge myself in this British detective show and on public television and, and you know, you can stream that sort of business all right now. And forever, Mm -hmm. the the one guy would guess what the other guy's lunch was that that his wife had packed. And this is set in the 60s. (laughs) Right? That's one. And so it would be ham and tomato. You know, so but the most popular one, and the one I began to make myself when I get home from work is cheese and pickle. And it's always some very solid, flavorful British Isle piece, (laughs) like a cheddar. Mm-hmm. You know sometimes others, um, but yeah, it's kind of a funny uh actually Doris is really good for that kind of thing too. and mm-hmm. you know, we pickle all kinds of stuff, so it may be like pickled cauliflower and carrots but or maybe pickled cucumbers, but but anyway, that's
1: <laughs> well, you had to go and say Duris, so that's a cow's milk piece, animal rennet. It comes from uh, West Cork, Ireland. It's aged two months. Uh, Jeffa Gill is the, and Sarah uh, Bated are the producers. And it's uh, one of those amazing washed rind pieces um, that, you know, we, we recently had it on the cart and it had aged a little bit before it came to us. And, oh my gosh, it was about as interesting as that cheese has ever been that we've gotten. And um, I have to say, I like, which do you like better, Gabin or duras? They're very similar pieces. G- Gabin ends up that there's a, a crazy organism that grows only on their farm. Hence the name of the gabine. It flourishes on the rind of the cheese. Um, it's and it was actually you know identified by microbiologists in 2001 and named after the farm and dairy. So obviously that piece is really special because of that microorganism. organism. But you know, yeah, I don't think Duras and Gabin are that different.
0: I have to admit, I have to admit that my daughters love Gabin because they just like to ask for a Gabin. Truly, for okay. the sound of the word.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but for me, uh, they're both both close. Both close.
1: Yeah, they're they're great. They they really they're, you know, for washed rind and to understand that a cheese, the cheese is washed with it could be just saline water and salt, or it could be in the um, like with the uh, It's marked de bagnya, right, Tony? Um, that is washed with. Uh, So it could be anything that is washed with. Um, It affects the pungency. I can't think of a better word of the cheese. It is, it is, it is, it also affects the texture. It tends to make it quite moist, very, you know, creamy, but in a sort of silken way rather than like a triple creme kind of way. Um, But yeah, it definitely brings a funk level to the cheese that, other cheeses don't get. So that's another reason why I was kind of comparing the Gabin and the Durus because um, I think sometimes the Duris can be a little bit more funky and a little more uh, uh, almost caramelly and animal like than the Gabin, which tends to be a little sweeter, a little prettier, but still, you know, that sort of fascinating um, funk that you get from a washed rind piece.
0: Two washed rind tidbits. One, remember there's the third cheese in that group. From Ireland, Ardrahan. And that's that's always the strongest of those.
1: Oh, I have about that. I should get some of that. I yeah, love Ardrahan. That,
0: that, that rind is it's really, it's funny. People are like, well, will I like it? Will I like the rind? I, I would say, do you like spicy food? Do you like really strongly flavored things? Mm-hmm. If you do, take more of the rind with the pate, which is the interior.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you don't, then then don't eat the rind.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I, th- I almost think with a washed rind piece like that, though, if you're not eating that rind, you're just really missing out. But, you know, yes, of course. Again, it's whatever you want when you're eating it. But to me, it's well, you, can temp- you can temper
0: important. it by, by only using so much.
1: Right. And there are other cheeses that you don't want to eat the outside. I mean, you know, it, it's some some cheeses are wrapped in cloth. Um, actually, Montgomery's cheddar is wrapped in cloth. And then it's it's coated with um Lard, basically, uh, to uh, allow the cheese to preserve and, and do its thing as it ages. Um, and, and I, knew, I knew
0: there was a reason I liked it so much.
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's the lard coating. a brilliant piece of cheese. And I, I, I'm i astonished we've gone through half a wheel of that cheese already, and that's 30 pounds. I mean, I have not had that cheese that long. That We've done very well with that piece, and it's a 60-pound wheel. And I hesitate to buy something that big um, because it, it would... It could take a while to go through, but it's been selling very well. I'm glad for that.
0: The other thing I was going to say about wash dry, and pieces, I remember years ago the first times I started pushing a cheese cart around a restaurant, hmm. and I was shocked by the number of people who would ask for smelly pieces. Oh, that's fun! Good. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but literally, what's smelly? What's stinky? What's runny? Awesome. It's almost like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It just, it, it's just, it's it is very funny. I mean, I, if I pull something strong out of the, the fridge with the girls around, Dell will tell me from two rooms away, "Dad, what is that?" <laughs> so, I, it's funny. As adults, we become either attracted to or impervious to some of these uh, aromas, mm-hmm. but. There was a cheese, it's years ago, and you remember this, there's a cheese in the north of France, up near Lille, uh, that is probably the strongest cheese of France. If there's a stronger, I don't know it. It's a washed rind piece. It's a beer washed rind. Huh? Or oh, yes. Wow. Right?
1: Yes.
0: And I re- recall when we first bought it, you complaining to me.
1: It, it's horrific
0: about his participation in your walk-in's aromas. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's too strong to smell. Yeah, yeah, it's, but it's delicious.
0: So I had one of those tables asking me, what's strong? What's great? (laughs) I'm like, how strong do you want it? Strongest. What's the strongest things that you have? And being a bit of a smarty pants, I said, well, here's marwal from near Lille. It kind of smells like a corpse. (laughs) Oh, oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Yeah, which they said, we, we want to try it. <laughs>
1: that's, well, good for them.
0: So that's, so wash Ryan, you see them other places, but that feels like, the France feel like the kings of that sort of thing, whether it's Airpoise or Lamy de Chambertin. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any other big favorites for you? Uh, I, I... Cito...
1: Yeah. Washed rinds. Yeah. Cito is amazing. And I, I, you know, I think I I prefer to go into the goat cheeses of France. Um, I mean, they're just so good. Uh, But, you know, I don't buy a lot of different French washed rinds. Um, But the the, it's hard. It's
0: hard to get them.
1: It it is. um, If they're not pasteurized, we're not getting them. So that's part of the problem with that. I think we are just we're you know we get a lot of triple cremes from France and we get a lot of goat pieces from France. Um, very few sheep's milk pieces, um, but you know when when you think of the of the really big guys, uh, the uh, tomes, and those mountain pieces, those are to me almost like a washed rind piece because they can be pretty you know funky as, uh, themselves um, because you can feel that sort of farmhouse. Um, that aging process and that cellaring. I mean, I think that's also one of the cool things about the English pieces or British pieces is that that cellaring smell that ends up in the cheese. You know, it's sort of that musty, gorgeous, you know, earthy uh, thing that is imparted into the piece because of its, you know, long, it could be 12, 16 months in a cellar. Um, the French have that same thing. with Roquefort. There's a certain base note. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the cheese that's affected by the 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 blue in the caves of Roquefort, uh, you know, that's sort of an amazing uh, thing that that happened to those cheeses, and you know, it just naturally, uh, you know, receives that that blue mold from those caves. Um, it's not injected with mold. It's it's actually naturally occurring. So, yeah, it's it's there's a lit just an amazing amount of information you can find about cheese. And also one of the things you mentioned was going to Neal's Yard Dairy, being in their shop, going downstairs with those wash rind pieces, I literally thought I was going to pass out. It was so ammoniated down there. And I, I, I can't believe, I mean, it was it's a small space. I can't believe those people, that, that folks work down there because that, that's like brutal. I mean, you really must have some sort of ability to adjust your work environment to be able to work down there with all those wash rind pieces. I'll never forget that. And and we were so excited when we were upstairs because, you know, they have these great shelves with all these, you know, huge wheels of cheese and it smells almost sweet and earthy in there. And then you go downstairs and you're like, whoa. Yep.
0: Yeah, no remarkable place. And I I recall you kind of losing it.
1: Yeah, Saint Marcellin is also one of my favorite, and we and I, I can I, I don't think I've ever been able to get that in the United States, um, no, but that's yeah. a great French piece. Oh, one of my favorites. I and mean, if you go to France, you should get it. Um, isn't that what Guy uses when he does the uh, truffle? Is it Saint Marcellin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: mm-hmm. he literally will like split the middle of the cheese open, like he's inserting something, like inserting a coin. It looks like, and put a truffle slice inside the cheese, or a couple. And he bakes it. Let's, let's do a couple of emails, and, uh, and then we're going to have to take a break. So this is from Gretchen. Uh, like Cindy, we don't really care about dessert, and in general, neither of us has a sweet tooth. Is there a best cheese to pair with a Videlio, or any savory pairings, end of meal or not? Or perhaps it is best to just drink and enjoy it on its own. Well, the interesting thing, Gretchen, is that Perdello, which is one of the grapes of Madeira, and I assume it's Madeira that you're talking about, um, is definitely a bit off dry. It's a fortified wine, and it has, like all Madeira, really high acidity. Uh, so it wants salt. Uh, so just in doubt, I mean, it could be anything from Parmigiano that's going to show a lot of salt uh, to uh, if you can find it in the States Bra, uh, which is a Pimonte cheese, it's a really firm tome. Um was, I'm not even gonna tell you about those Portuguese pieces that are great with Rodelieu. Um but yeah, look look for something that is salty and concentrated and and even some of the th- actually the one cheese you mentioned before, Ticamore, uh, would do really nicely. There's with the tartness, the uh the, the, the goat and the salt is really good with that so we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine it's more cheese more of your emails you can join the conversation 410 we'll be right back on WYPR.
1: This is 881 WIPR. You're listening to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine.
0: Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman.
1: And Chef Cindy Wolf.
0: And today we're live and it's all cheesed all the time. You can Apparently. join us for 10-662-8780. <laughs> and... Uh, And we have a bunch of emails to get to with uh, one or two equipment questions. And I know you had some advice about equipment that you wanted to give as well that we should get done in this segment. Before we run away from cheese and favorites, I feel compelled uh, to mention two areas. One in France and one in Italy. Once upon a time, they were the same area. It was the old kingdom of Savoy. Right? So the Mm -hmm. Savoy in the southeast of France, uh, in the mountains, and Piemonte, which is in the foot of the mountains, and then up into them uh, in the northwest of Italy. They, they all were one territory, and there's a lot of cheese that is made in similar fashion, and there's a lot of marvelous stuff. And uh, a, a lot of the French cheeses are pretty famous. Some of the Italians we don't know so well, and I would just threw out a few names for people to look out for. Um, Roviola is a really easy, mild one, mm-hmm. and that's that's a good table cheese. Latour is a good. Um, honestly, for me, that's almost more of a cheese plate after after meal kind of cheese. Mm-hmm. Usually made with all three milks and and really good strength.
1: And that's what's interesting about it too is that it does have all three milks. Well, there's,
0: There's a lot of Italian cheeses made in that pragmatic two or three. Robiola is usually at least, you know, due latte. So it's Mm -hmm. usually cow and sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, Ones you don't always see, the bra, bra tenro that uh, I had mentioned earlier. It's a great crumbler. Tuma. And Tuma you can get young and fresh where it wants white wine. Or Tuma with some age on it is one of the very best matches. And, And cheese in general is not a great like big red wine match. It, usually the tannins usually don't do that well with uh, but Borolo, Barbaresco Carema, Gattinara some of the great wines of Pimonte made from Naviolo, Uh, they are fabulous with Tuma that has good age to it so I, that's one to watch out for and one, and I bet you, I don't know that you've ever had this um, I always mean when up there, if you're there, to to, to get it in front of you, Morrozzano uh, no. is a is a sheep's milk that is breathtakingly delicious. Not a little strong, but the but the milk itself—it's actually probably the sweetest sheep's milk that I've come across. Murzano So good. any other
1: favorites
0: good. you want to throw in there before we do uh, emails?
1: I think it's I think it's uh, Berkswell, and if that's something that you uh. can find, another its just again it's just a brilliant piece of cheese. It does. What's interesting about Berkswell is that it's made in a basket. It always has been. So its shape is uh, almost like a flying saucer kind of thing. It has these wonderful markings on it from the holes in the basket. It's a it's a hard, it's a pressed piece. Um, so you need a, uh, you want to slice it thin. Um, and it is a hard used milk cheese, and, and that's the one that's described as having, you know, great sweetness. Um, it's slightly granular in texture. It's a sheep's milk piece. It does have animal rennet. Um, it's it's from West Midlands, um, the cattle are Frisian, and it's aged six to eight, mo- eight months. Um, and it is, um, it is, it is actually, it's not a press piece, but it's molded in a kitchen colander, as they say. It, it's, it's, it's dry in a good way. It really does slice beautifully. I just, you know, I've never made, and I, I I've never made a sandwich with it because I just oh, don't yeah. think of such brilliant pieces of cheese that way. But yeah, if you had some really great crusty bread and maybe some, you know, hamoni barrico or prosciutto or something like, mm. you know, some cured meat that you just were in love with, melting that burks well on some great and drizzling it with a really great, pretty floral extra virgin olive oil. That could
0: be seriously good late night snack. works yeah. um, Ber- yeah. well is quality on a, on, a, on, a, on a, the old TF cheese and pickle. i got to <laughs> tell you.
1: <laughs> so, oh, I love uh, cheese yep. so much. I'm glad we talked about it.
0: let uh, all right. Let's run through some emails. We've got uh, and and a number of these apply to other programs. That were recorded programs. It's so nice to be live today and interact with everybody. We'll get to emails next time around. Next time we're live, and uh, and try to go through them on the air. This is from Peggy. Uh, question regarding the use of sous vide at home. What are the advantages of using this method at home?
1: You know, I think I think with sous vide, and I will tell you, I've never I've never sous vide anything in my life, and I've only eaten something that was sous vide once. Um, but I was reading about it today, and what's interesting about the process. So what what happens is you take whatever it is that you're cooking and you have to vacuum pack it. It, it, You could put it in a jar. I don't follow that, but let's just go with the whole vacuum packing thing. So let's say you want to cook a piece of salmon. Um, The, I think the, there are two, probably two advantages to the process of sous vide. One is that the food actually cooks in its own juice, which just means flavor, flavor, flavor. Okay. And also you can cook it at such a low temperature that the product's going to be so darn tender. Um, And those to me, well, and also you can set the, apparently you can set the device, which is something that you stick in a pot with water in it. um, And um, you can set it and it controls the cooking for you, which sounds nice for people at home. Uh, quite frankly, and you, I guess you can set it to the temperature that you desired end result, and you know it's cooking this gentle old way. Um, now, what does not appeal to me about that is something like, let's say you put a pork belly in there, and or a piece of pork belly. Would you really want to eat a soft piece of pork belly? No. So uh, then afterwards, you are going to need to sear it in a pan and get a nice, wonderful caramelization and crustiness, but my guess is that end result is you're going to end up with a super tender piece of pork belly that you then have the chance, assuming that not too much of the fat has been lost in the packaging in the cryovac. Um, uh, yeah, so I would try it. You know, the lady in the email said that she was given the, the device as a gift. So yeah, I mean, have fun with it, practice, play. I would definitely do a bunch of research and, um, get some good direction and, I'd like to hear from her You know how she feels about it in the end.
0: All right, Cindy. We just have a couple minutes. We need quick answers. Okay. Uh, can you jump off to talk about different pan styles and their uses like Teflon? This is from uh, okay. Beth, she's asking.
1: All right. Good Women in their 80s who
0: no longer have the wrist strength to handle their heavy cast iron skillet or cruzé
1: cookware. That's who uses them. That's understandable. So- I will tell you that a carbon steel pan can develop a, a surface on it that is as good as Teflon. Um, and with a with a steel pan, you don't have to worry about chipping the Teflon, which is not good for your your. I don't want to say for your health, but I think it might not be good for your health. I don't know that absolutely, um, but it, I would question it because it could be toxic. Okay, so. Uh, The fact that a steel pan is inexpensive, it is lighter. The same size cast iron pan would probably be 15 pounds. uh, The same pan would be five pounds in steel. So obviously you're not running around with a 15 pound pan in your home. So, you know, I think that the fact that steel is lighter, it's inexpensive. It's probably the least expensive product you can cook in other than, you know, that's worth cooking in, I guess I should say. Um, And um, as the longer you use it, it will develop a gorgeous, like slick surface um, and it doesn't take that long. So that would be my suggestion. The other thing is if you do want to spend some money, um, Heston produces what's called nanobond pan and it's made with titanium. And I bought some for the restaurant probably four or five years ago and we just kind of looked at them for a long time. We were all just not eager to use them. I don't, they were, they're so beautiful. And literally my chef de cuisine and I would joke about, they're just too pretty to use. (laughs) Well, about a year ago we started, well, two years ago we started really using them. This pan I think will probably, my guess is last an awfully long time. Um, Its surface is also similar in reaction as Teflon would be, but it is a hard surface so you're not going to chip it or have it flake off or have it wear away. Um, And it is a great conductor of heat and I highly, highly suggest these pans. Um, I would love to meet the people at, uh, at Heston because I'd really like to talk to them about how they came up with this whole process. But you should look them up and look into the pans. And they're pretty readily available.
0: All right, a couple of quick questions. Uh, via email from Joe. Uh, as the subject of the email suggests, I'm looking for a wine pairing suggestion. I've been sitting on a 2010 Odro Barolo for some years now and Cindy, we are out of time Joe, make it strong fish like branzino or tuna mushrooms, uh, red wine reduction, Uh, that will work for your uh, brodo if you want to follow us on Instagram, Cindy Wolf is Uh,
1: you can follow me as Chef Wolf or Cindy Wolf on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter
0: Uh, my Instagram is the real Tony Foreman Email us, ForemanWolf at WIPR.org. You can look up this episode or any other one of the episodes on the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page, and we're there. Thanks very much for listening.
1: Happy Sunday.